I appreciate Amy so much sharing that for her heart, for compassion, and us being able to extend our mission ministry through Compassion International. For about 22 years or so, uh, Kim and I have uh, sponsored a child through a, a different ministry called World Vision, only because World Vision crossed our paths 22 years ago rather than Compassion. Had Compassion been the ones right in front of us, no doubt we would have done it with them as well, and I strongly encourage you to do that. Uh, we're, I think, three, we've, we've sponsored three children to this point. I draw the line of sending them to college, you know, that, that kind of thing, but Still, we, we've sponsored them. They write us letters, keep us up on what, what they're doing. It's a wonderful way to feed into the lives of children and help lift them out of poverty and actually get to know some folk in, in other ministries and organizations. So remember the table out there after the service. Go by there and uh, check it out. If you have your Bible, pick it up. Find with me the Gospel of Luke again in our series faces in the crowd this time Luke chapter 19 we're jumping ahead just a bit actually to the week the, the time period that precedes the week before Jesus crucifixion which is an important component of the story we're going to look at this morning the face in the crowd is familiar to anyone who has grown up in church and Sunday school this morning's face in the crowd even has a song that we sing in his honor, and you'll be glad to know I'm not going to sing that song this morning. Luke 19, hold your place there for just a minute. Have you, any of you guys ever met a celebrity? Yeah, you ever actually met a celebrity? Maybe bumped into him at the airport or uh, embarrassed yourself and, and introduced yourself to them. anybody? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. When I said embarrassed yourself, Pam went, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, you know, occasionally I've, I've run across, but there's one, one time I tried to meet one that didn't really go over so well. When I was a kid growing up in Winston-Salem, and President Ford, well, Gerald Ford was president, he came to Winston-Salem. I have no idea why. I don't remember that part at all. What I do remember is he flew into Greensboro Airport and then hopped on a helicopter, and his entourage uh, flew him by helicopter to Winston-Salem. And apparently where he was going was close to our neighborhood because they chose to uh, meet his limousine, meet him in a public park that was adjacent to the housing subdivision I grew up in, the townhomes and some houses there I grew up in. So we were all very excited. It's going to be really cool. We'll get to see Gerald Ford, the President of the United States, land in a helicopter in a public park, and, and no doubt he's going to spend time waving at all of us. Then he's going to get in his limousine and, and off he'll go. So that day when it transpired, uh, a whole bunch of folks in our neighborhood found the high ground. We had an area with a hill that was near uh, our pool and basketball courts and those kind of things that neighborhoods have. And they climbed up on that hill, a whole bunch of people, and they're waiting for the helicopter to come. And my brother said, hey, we're going to go up there, Bob. Why don't you come on? And I said, well, why not just go over there? Right? I mean, how hard could it be? I had walked, the, there were woods separating our home from that public park, and if you're familiar with Winston-Salem, those woods are now where Haynes Mall is and all that shopping there. That's, those were woods back then, just totally nothing there. And I used to walk, my brothers and I camped in those woods, we used to spend time, I said, well, you know, how hard could it be? So I take off through the woods, and, and I'm, uh, I cut behind our house and up through the woods, and I was going to exit the woods at the back of a, a large public swimming pool, which would have put me probably about 100 yards from where the helicopter was going to land. 
So I troop through the woods and I, and I, I walk straight up to exit those woods and there was a highway patrolman, a state trooper, standing there. Turns out you're not allowed to do that when the President of the United States is about to land. He wasn't curt or, or snippy, he just turned to me back, sent me on my way, he said, no, you cannot go any further than this, you, you need to go back to wherever you came from. So I joined my brothers and everyone else up on the hill. I mean, it really wasn't worth a lot of stress and frustration and prison time to see the President of the United States close up and personal. And really, all he did was land. We didn't even get a wave. He landed, got in the limousine, and off he went. Even, though, even so, we got to see the President of the United States land in a helicopter. It wasn't real hard for me to agree. I, I should just turn away. I can see this another time. I can go to another place. So you can appreciate the tenacity of an individual who, that the crowd wants to turn him away. He is being pressed from every side and he refuses to miss the opportunity to see Jesus in person. That's this man Zacchaeus, famous for being short. Doesn't that make you feel good? Going down in history for his diminutive stature, or as we know him, a wee little man was he. Look there with me in Luke chapter 19. Remember, Jesus is now on his way to Jerusalem, ultimately his crucifixion and then his resurrection. And the Bible says, in the story before this, he heals a man in passing through, he is passing through Jericho and heals a man there. And then we, we read in chapter 19, verse 1, we read this. He entered Jericho and was passing through. Now that's going to become important in just a moment. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus! Hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully. All who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with that sinful man. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Verse 10 is the reason for the story. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. By God's providence, as Jesus approaches Jerusalem at his final hour, his arrest, his crucifixion, and ultimately his resurrection, God provides an opportunity in history to preserve for us Jesus himself clarifying his purpose. I'm not going to Jerusalem to overthrow the government. I did not come to make you comfortable or to help you get all your dreams fulfilled. I, I, I did not come for all the purposes you think I came. I, di I didn't come to make you more religious. I didn't come uh, for all the things that many people say I came for. I came for this purpose, Jesus says, to seek and to save lost people. To seek and to save lost people, just like Zacchaeus was saved that day. 
It's a pivotal statement at a providential moment for Jesus to state that clearly before he gets to Jerusalem. And, and you can imagine as he heads toward the cross and there's so much confusion over who he is and what he's doing uh, that God wants this statement echoing in the ears of everyone who heard it that day. He came for this purpose to seek and to save the lost and going to the cross and rising from the grave fulfills that purpose. On this particular day, he is passing from the ruins of ancient Jericho that was destroyed by Joshua and his men to the rebuilt Jericho along the way. And in both places, he impacts lives. And in this particular place, God reminds us that Jesus is seek seeking to save all those that will trust Christ and all those who trust Christ will be saved. Jesus is seeking to save all those who will trust Christ and all those who trust Christ will be saved. It's God's heart and always has been to seek and to save the lost. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. For those of you here in house and at home who have been waiting, procrastinating, saying no to God, but you've heard about Jesus and you know the gospel and you know that you're lost and you know you need Christ, God is patient with you. He doesn't want you to perish apart from Christ. But if you leave this life apart from Christ without ever having been saved in Christ, that's exactly what will happen. You will perish for eternity and spend eternity apart from Christ. This story is a reminder of what God is doing in seeking and saving the lost. And then it's also a reminder for everyone of us and anyone who's never trusted Christ to know that God will save you. He will save you from your sins. He will forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life if you will trust him. Along with that, it's a, a wonderful reminder for every human being, for everyone, Christian, non-Christian, for every person in this room, all of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, it's a reminder of God's love for us. God loves us so much. He sent his one and only son into the world that whoever would believe in him would not, what, perish, but would have eternal life. It's a reminder that when, if you're a believer in Christ in this room, it's a, it's a reminder that God was seeking you, and the day you said, I cannot wait any longer, and you came to Christ, he had already been waiting for you. Jesus saves everyone who trusts him as Savior, and everyone who trusts Christ will be saved. Let's go back to the story for just a minute. Find yourself in this. This story gives us both God's side of salvation, Jesus seeking Zacchaeus, finding Zacchaeus, saving Zacchaeus, but it also gives us Zacchaeus' perspective, a person's actions and perspectives that bring us to that point of salvation and entrusting Christ. So look at this with me. I think you're going to find yourself in this story. Uh, you'll find yourself as Zacchaeus was that way, you just can't wait any longer. You'll find yourself also being convicted for the fact you've been procrastinating in coming to Christ. And if you're a believer in Christ, you might find yourself in the fact you've not been serving Christ and following Christ the way that he wants you to and the way that you know that you should and that you can. So look at this with me. I want you to, to we're just going to ask and answer a question, what do I do? What do I do? It's time to make a decision for Christ. It's time to be saved. It's time to rededicate my life. What do I do? Look at three things with me. First of all, seek Jesus intentionally. 
Seek Jesus intentionally. Whatever we are doing intentionally has our attention. Whatever you're doing intentionally has your attention. Whatever you're intentional about is your passion. It's what you're focused on. You show me your calendar, and I will show you, your, I will show you what you're intentional about. In other words, it's the things that you don't leave to accident. It's the things that you don't say, well, I just hope this might happen one day, someday. I'll just leave it off the calendar. No, these are the things that you're intentional about, the things that you will not leave to accident, and these are the things that have your attention. Notice how intentional Zacchaeus is. Jesus is coming to town, and he will let no obstacle, no problem, and no people get in his way from getting to Jesus. He decides he's going to seek Jesus. He's going to be where Jesus is. He's not going to do it, leave it to accident. He's not going to let the crowd push him back. He's going to be there. Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through, and there was this man named Zacchaeus. Now, we learned a couple things about Zacchaeus. We learned he's a chief tax collector and that he is rich. Those are the two distinguishing characteristics that Luke tells us. He's a chief tax collector and he is rich. Now, we've already met Levi, who becomes Matthew, We've already met him in this series. He was a tax collector. And we've already learned that tax collectors uh, earned their living by partnering with Rome, which to the Jews was being a traitor. But they were employed by Rome to collect taxes from their own people. And Rome had a certain amount of taxes they required. And anything collected above that amount, the tax collector could keep. That was their profit. So the more unscrupulous the tax collector was, the more money they made. And they made it off the backs of the people they lived with, the people in their families, their friends, people they grew up with. Those are the people they made money. It was a form of extortion in the Middle East. And the tax collector could wield, literally wield the sword, and, the, and, and his Jewish and Israelite friends knew it, because if, the, if his friends and family did not pay taxes, if people in the community refused to pay the amount the tax collector, collector said, the tax collector would turn them over to the Romans. It was not the tax collector they had to account to, it was the Romans. That was a dangerous place to be. So that's what Levi was doing. That's what Matthew came from. Here we learn Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. He was the best one at being unscrupulous and extorting his fellow Israelites on behalf of the Roman government. Talk about hated. And just in case you wonder if he was good at it, he was rich. He had become wealthy by extorting his friends for money. He was the last person anybody wanted to see that day. No one wanted him around. Why in the world would Jesus want somebody like Zacchaeus around or pay any attention to him at all? But instead, we find Zacchaeus to be the most passionate, the most intentional person in the crowd that day, pressing through. And when he cannot get through to see who Jesus is, you have to wonder in the back of his mind, he's saying, I just don't want to miss this. I just don't want to miss this. So he's pressing through the crowd. So here this small man scurries up a tree over the path where Jesus will pass because nothing will stop him. Nothing will keep him from Jesus that day. Nothing. In God's providence, this story is set where it is and the way it is. I want you to understand this is not just an analogy or a metaphor. This is a historical event. Very real people happen just the way it's reported. But look how God works 
what you know about Jericho in the Old Testament is that the walls came tumbling down. When Joshua and his army circled and blew the trumpet, God disposed of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. And then by the time of Jesus, a new Jericho has been built just up the road so he can pass through one Jericho and enter into the other Jericho and there's no contradiction or misunderstanding. And it's a historical image of a spiritual truth. The walls come down and a new life goes up. And Zacchaeus would let no wall keep him from Christ. Nothing would keep him from Christ. He was that intentional. Are you that intentional? Let me ask you something. What was the last time you said nothing will keep me from Christ? If you've never trusted him as your Savior, what excuses are you making? What obstacles do you claim are in the way? Well, I don't know enough about the Bible. Uh, I have somebody that's a Christian and, and in my life and, and they're a hypocrite. Um, uh, Christians are too political. Christians are not political enough. You just pick whatever obstacle, problem, or excuse you like. Or maybe it's that God hasn't done in your life what you wanted him to do. He hasn't healed you. He hasn't helped you. He hasn't answered those prayers you thought he would answer. He took a life out of your life quicker or sooner than you thought it should happen. What are the problems, the obstacles, the excuses that you have? Maybe it's just that you think people won't like you. If you come to Jesus and you go to church, they'll, they'll turn you away. You can spend all day thinking up obstacles and problems and excuses, but the bottom line is seek Jesus intentionally. And you know what you're going to find out? You're going to find out he's waiting on you. He's been waiting on you the whole time. He's been watching your life. He knows who you are. Nothing should stop us from getting to Jesus. And believers in Christ, I would remind you, I, or I'd ask you this, if you're, if you're a follower of Christ and you know it, and your relationship with God has been pretty lukewarm for a while, not much is happening, you don't see God do a whole lot in your life or, or answer prayers in a, in, a, in a dramatic way, and you wonder where, where God is, can I experience God? Ask yourself this, how intentional are you about seeking Jesus? Do you leave it to accident? Maybe God will show up. Maybe I'll be where I need to be at the time I need to be there and, and God will do something. Maybe God will accidentally do this or do that or answer my prayer or hear my cry. How intentional have you been lately? Let nothing hold you back. Change whatever you need to change. Seek Jesus intentionally and you'll find out that he's there. Secondly, obey Jesus quickly. Obey Jesus quickly. As soon as Jesus got to the tree, he stopped and he looked up. Much to the surprise of the crowd and much to the surprise of Zacchaeus. And you can read into it what is historically accurate. The crowd probably said, what in the world is this man, this rabbi, this Jesus doing, talking to the chief tax collector, the chief of sinners, the greatest sinner of them all out that day, and they want to be anywhere near him. But Jesus stops and he says to Zacchaeus, hurry up, come down. Hurry, come down right now. Notice what he says, because it is necessary, it is necessary I come to your house. That one scene tells us something extraordinary. First, it tells us Jesus knew Zacchaeus all along. He knew who he was, and he knew where he was on that day. And Zacchaeus' intention, his motivation, his passion to get to Jesus 
was the hinge point for his salvation. It was a demonstration of his faith uh, that he believed Jesus could do something different, that Jesus was someone different. And Jesus pauses and calls out to him. The second thing that shows us is God has a divine imperative to save the lost. It is necessary that I come to your house today. It's Zacchaeus, it's going to happen. It must happen because that's why I am here to seek and to save the lost. God has a divine imperative. He's pursuing those who do not know Christ as their Savior. And those of us who do know Christ as our Savior but we're lukewarm, that's why you're miserable. He's pursuing you. He wants that relationship with you to grow. And Luke says that Zacchaeus quickly came down and joyfully, joyfully hosted Jesus in his house. What's just happened? He just got saved. He just got saved. Quickly he obeyed. Quickly he responded. Joyfully. We do it begrudgingly. We procrastinate. But never forget, almost being obedient is not a being obedient at all. That's not obedience. That's procrastination. That's why you're not seeing God do much in your life. If you know what God wants you to do, do it. If you know what the Bible says, obey it. If you want to see God work in your life, trust him and do what he wants you to do. And if you know what you're to do, do it now. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, here's a question. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You're waiting for God to, to, to make you good with apart from Christ? He's not going to do that. You're waiting for all the circumstances in your life to be perfect? That's not going to happen. You're waiting for church people to suddenly never be hypocritical again? What are you waiting for? Obey quickly. In 2011, we... Uh, uh, sent three consecutive teams to Haiti on mission trips. And I went in the first team that February. Uh, and we, we went to uh, put up the shelters that Samaritan's Purse was providing. We stayed in their compound in a house there, uh, and we would go out each day and, and put up these shelters. And when the shelter was built, uh, we would have a worship service. Now, there was a, a young Haitian man, a Baptist, and he went with us every day, and he had one job. He carried a backpack with Bibles, tracts in their language. His one job and what he would do all day is share the gospel with everybody that gathered around to see us put up the shelter. And he led lots of people to Christ. So a lot of times he was sharing the gospel with the families who would ultimately own that shelter. They would, they would come inside and live there because their home had been destroyed uh, in the earthquake. In the earthquake. Now, I remember one afternoon, after we put up the shelter, this young man was sharing the gospel with the dad, the father, the head of the household. And they were inside the shelter, and he was talking, and they were talking in Creole back and forth in their language, back and forth, back and forth. And the man would nod, and then he would respond, and, and uh, the father would nod and respond. Then the young man, he would talk to him some more, talk to him some more. Then the man would kind of shake his head and, and say a little bit. Then the other man would talk, and the young man would talk a lot. And after a few minutes, and I was over here doing my part, after a few minutes, uh, the young evangelist, the man who was sharing the gospel, the young man called me over, Pastor, Pastor, will you come over here? I said, sure. So I went over there, and he said to me, uh, he understands the gospel, he knows what he needs to do, but he wants to wait. Will you say something to him? So I said, and, and, and right there I prayed, you know, God, what, what do you want me to say? 
my heart, I prayed. And the Lord said, just tell him this. So I turned to the man, uh, the translator, and I said, tell him this. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Why are you waiting? So there was a little back and forth in Creole, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then all of a sudden they were praying. And when they finished praying, the young evangelist looked at me and said, he trusted Christ. So we celebrated not only him getting a shelter that day, but him getting a home in heaven that day and coming to faith in Christ. Because it's a simple question, but a profound question. What are you waiting for? Really, what are you waiting for? You're waiting to be perfect? It's not going to happen. You're waiting to know everything there is to know? It's not going to happen. You know all you need to know. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. God raised him from the grave. You're a sinner in need of salvation. Trust Christ as your Savior. Obey Jesus quickly. Then last, follow Jesus completely. Follow Jesus completely. As evidence of his salvation, not to be saved, but as evidence of his salvation, Zacchaeus responds with outright generosity, exactly the opposite of who he used to be. And Luke doesn't hold back. This is not abbreviated at all in the story. Look at verse 7. All who saw it began to complain. And of course, there are people that complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. Jesus went to the home of a sinner. But verse 8, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. For he too is a son of Abraham. Proof that he was saved was his sudden generosity. That's not how he got saved. He got saved by trusting Christ and Christ alone. Seeking Jesus intentionally. Obeying Jesus quickly. And now he confirms it by saying, I will give away all my possessions to the poor. And if I've extorted anyone, because he had, if I've extorted anyone, I'll not only return to them what I extorted, what I took from them, I'll do it four times more than what I took. You know when I read that, I was studying that this week, you know what I read? And I hate to say this, you know what I read? We have a hard time tithing. We have a hard time giving a little bit. We have a hard time with any kind of generosity and saying, God, I don't know, maybe, maybe I don't have enough to Zacchaeus is ready to give it all away. Why? Because Jesus changed his heart. Because Jesus changed his heart. He wasn't trying to prove anything. He was showing he had completely sold out to following Jesus Christ. He wanted to be like Jesus. His heart had been changed completely. So Jesus confirms it in the, in the language of the Israelites and the way Israelites understand better than we do today. This man indeed is a son of Abraham. What does that mean? Well, a lot of the Jews of Jesus' day, and as, as Paul writes about in Galatians, thought of themselves as followers of the law of Moses. And they neglected the fact that their heritage was actually from Abraham. It wasn't the law of Moses that saved them. It was faith in God through Jesus Christ that saved them, as it did Abraham. Because Abraham was told it was his faith that was reckoned to him as righteousness. When God saw Abraham's faith in him, God saved him. And that's how all people are saved, not by our good works, but by our trust in Christ, by our faith in him, by our belief that he has done for us what we could not do. It starts with admitting that we need salvation, 
But then God saves us and he changes our hearts and it shows in what we do. And there it is again. We've seen this example over and over in this series. If you're a believer in Christ, if God's changed your heart, it should show. It should show in your life. There should be evidence of it. Whether it's your outright generosity, whether it's overcoming those habits and behaviors that God is not pleased with, uh, whether it's a change in healing in your relationship, whatever it is, there should be a change in your life. When you know that you're saved, God has saved you, and he changes your heart, and he changes your life. It should show in your life. When you say, I'm going to come to Christ, and I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior, I'll be a follower of Christ, but you're half-hearted in it, does it really make any change in your life? Follow Jesus completely. Be sold out to it, everything in, to following Christ. And watch him do a great work through you in the lives of others and through your life as well. In 1950, a man named Carlos Ferrar was born in Cuba. And he says from his earliest childhood, what he remembers the most is a lack of peace. He, he wanted peace in his country and peace in his family and peace in his life. Uh, but it didn't happen. And then 1959... Castro took over Cuba, Commun communism came in, and at first they were told that this would be the solution to all the problems in Cuba, and instead, instead it started an era of, of poverty and uh, the government taking control and, and the communist era in Cuba. So he and his family left Cuba. They fled Cuba and they went through Mexico, and eventually from Mexico they ended up in Florida. And while they were in Florida, a church in California reached out to them in Florida and another church there and offered to house them and take care of them in California. So Carla says he and his family packed up and they all moved all the way across the United States to California. And they met these people in this Baptist church in California. And he said at first it completely baffled him why they were so generous and so kind to him and his family. They housed him and his family. They found his dad a job. They took care of them for six months, gave them everything they needed to get established uh, in the United States and in California to get their lives started. And he said for a long time he really didn't understand that. And he still had tucked away in his mind that, that peace that he wanted in his life, that peace he wanted to experience. And he said he knew he saw something in these, these Christians, these Baptists in California, that looked like they had that kind of peace, but he didn't quite understand it. He says he grew up, he went off to college, he went to the University of Texas at Austin, and while he was in his dorm room one day, two Christians came by knocking on the dorm room door. And when he opened the door, they stepped in, and one of them said, the reason we're going from, from door to door, we just want to find out if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't, we want to tell you about that. And he said, I don't. And, he said, and the person asked him, would you like to experience unspeakable peace and eternal life? He said, I had no hesitation whatsoever. None whatsoever. I trusted Christ as my Savior right then and there. And God continued the trajectory of his life, Carlos says, until eventually... God took him into a position with the Southern Baptist North American Mission Board. And the Southern Baptist North American Mission Board took him to Florida. And while he was in Florida one day, he ran into a gentleman that, that served in the same area with him in the North American Mission Board, whose job was to locate refugees coming to the United States. 
And Carl has said to him, you know, that's interesting because that's how I got here. And, and let me ask you, do you happen to know anything about this church in California? And he said the man actually teared up. And he said, stay here. And the man disappeared and he came back with a file folder. He handed him the file folder that was the file folder on him and his family. And he said, Carlos, we knew about you all along. And Carlos ends his testimony in a very simple way. He said, God knew about me all along. Even when I didn't know it, God was seeking me. Even when I didn't know it, God was putting the parts and pieces of my life in place so I would get to the point that I could share him with others. Folks, what are you waiting on? If you're a believer in Christ here or at home, and your, your walk with Christ has been, just been pretty much the same, you've not, not done anything intentional lately to, uh, to get with God, he's put something on your heart and you're procrastinating, you're holding back, what, what are you waiting on? <laughs> what are you waiting for? Do you really want to see God work in your life, and do you want to see God use you to work in other people's lives? Today's the day to say yes. Yes, God. I'm all in to following Christ. And if you're in this room or at home and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, so much of the story of Zacchaeus is about you. It's about you. That's why God preserved it for you. So you would understand that while you are seeking him, he is seeking you. And he is there. He is ready. He knows where you are. If you will trust Christ, he will save you, forgive you of your sins, give you eternal life. And from this point forward, You'll be a follower of Christ. You'll get to see him do great works through you to bless other people. What are you waiting for? Would you like to make that kind of change today? I'm going to pray for us first for those that have never trusted Christ as their Savior. That might be you in this room or you at home. And if today is the day you say, you know what, this is the day of salvation for me. What have I been waiting for? I want to put my faith and trust in Christ. Pray this simple prayer with me in your heart to God. It's your faith in Christ. It's your faith in Christ that matters. Trust Him and say, God, forgive me of my sins, and today I want to follow Christ. And then I'll pray for us as believers as well. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pause in this moment, God, so thankful for the reminder of your saving grace. This man so long ago you saved that day the same way you save us today when we trust Christ as our Savior. And God, maybe there's one or two in this room. Maybe there's a few at home. And they know that they've been procrastinating. They know that they've been waiting. They know they've been trying to be good or be better or making excuses or there's been obstacles. Take all of that away today, Father. And let today be the day, Father. This is the day of salvation. So, Father, with them, I pray this simple prayer. And I pray, God, for those who would trust Christ as their Savior today to pray this prayer with me in their hearts to God. To pray this prayer with me, Father, and, and trust you today for salvation. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't save myself. Now, like, Zac like Zacchaeus so long ago, I've been holding back. But today I say yes to Jesus. To Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me to save me from my sins. And believe, uh, Jesus, I believe that you're alive today. So I ask by faith you would come into my heart and into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a home in heaven. And from this day forward, I will follow Christ. Father, maybe there's some believers in this room and at home as well that have been, they've been putting, we've, we've been putting excuses out there, God, why we're not doing what you desire, why we're not seeking you intentionally, 
why we're not letting you work through our lives. There are excuses, obstacles, problems maybe. But Father, we know we haven't changed much lately. We haven't seen you doing a work through us to bless others. And God, we want to ask your forgiveness for that today. And I pray for all of us, Father, this would be a turning point for us. That today would be the day we walk out this door cleansed, forgiven, and ready, God, to serve you from this point forward. Father, I thank you and I praise you, God, for what you do in our lives when we trust you. And we thank you most of all for Jesus, for his death on the cross for us, for his resurrection, and for the celebration of knowing we have life in Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray.